the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's knowledge you could definitely live without. But hey, it's still fun to learn something new and weird, right? Thanks for listening. Hey guys, welcome to episode two of Knowledge from the Couch. I'm still Kyle, and I'm still your host. Didn't find anybody who could host the show or wanted to host the show besides me, so as I stated in episode one, you're stuck with me, and in episode two, you're still stuck with me. Sorry. Yeah, what's up, guys? I hope you enjoyed the first episode of the podcast. I listened back to it, and I, I felt like it was a little bit rough, but... I'm sure this one's not going to be much better, so if you were cool enough to stick with me through that complete barrel of nonsense, then thank you so much. We're about to have another little barrel of nonsense today. Um, I was actually thinking that something I didn't cover in the first episode, something I probably should have covered, but didn't because I was so goddamn excited to record and talk about what I was talking about, where the name of this podcast came from. Why would I call it? knowledge from the couch why such a weird phrase it all goes back to back in the day with my friends and I when I would sit on the couch I would often be browsing Wikipedia browsing Google doing doing what you do when you're just not paying attention when you're just doing stuff you know idly and something would come up whether it be something someone mentioned on TV something someone just happened to say at some point and I would, you know, spark up a random fact here and there. A lot like the uh, non-sequitur fact of the day that you'll hear again at the end of this show. Eventually it became sort of an inside joke between friends about how I would always spout, quote, knowledge from the couch, unquote. And that's sort of where the nexus of this idea came from. Uh, the original idea was to eventually write a book, although... I am not a good writer by by any stretch of the imagination, so that would would never ever work. Plus, there's already lots of books out there with people talking about fun facts and stuff like that, and there's really no no market for that. There's probably no market for this either, but at the very least, I can just hang out my own little personal corner of the internet and spout off, and nobody's really gonna do anything about it. So that's the the origin of knowledge from the couch. So. It should sort of inform everybody that, you know, on a weekly basis, uh, we're going to just talk about some random thing, some random person usually. But it could, like I said before, it could be something that that we cover in a bigger sense, you know, maybe an f- entire civilization we might go over a little bit or we might go over um, an idea or stuff like that. But typically, people tend to be the easiest to cover. People tend to have the easiest stories to, to sort of track logically especially in the span of maybe a 15 to 20 minute podcast. We don't want to blast too far into, as I mentioned, Dan Carlin territory. No five hour podcasts here. Nope. We're just gonna, we're just gonna chill with our little cup of coffee podcast. Um, just do a little, just do a little history, 
just do a little uh, expose and then run along. So today's episode, episode two, we're going to talk about a surgeon from the Victorian era named Robert Liston. Now, I should warn some listeners, there is going to be a little bit of talk of the nastiness and the gore of pre-anesthetic surgery. Um, Surgery back in these days, before there was such a thing as anesthesia, and before there was such a thing as uh, clean surgical technique, uh, things like removal of masses or amputations had to be done super duper quickly because uh, if you can think about it, you probably wouldn't want your limb to be cut off ultra slowly. That sounds awful and honestly makes the basis of like half of the horror movies that exist. So you can imagine that if you had to get something taken off, like that, then you would want that to be as fast as possible. And Robert Liston happened to be one of the very best surgeons when it came to that sort of thing. But his incredible speed and his basically insanity came at the price uh, in at least one famous story. But we're just going to kind of look at his career in general, um, what made him so popular, and then kind of close up with him sort of ushering into the the modern era of surgery. Um, So without further ado, let's talk a little bit about Robert Liston. Okay, so Robert Liston. He was born in 1794 in Scotland and received his education from the University of Edinburgh. Um, he is a surgeon from the time, like we talked about in the uh, the intro or the preamble to this part of the podcast, that surgery had to be done extremely quickly in order to be done effectively. Uh, in essence, at this time of human history, in this time of medical history, Surgery was a lot more of a last resort sort of thing. Surgery wasn't done like you would see it these days. Surgery is usually done these days as, you know, something you do. It's it's as easily it's as easily doled out as a as a suggestion from a physician as medication or non-pharmacological means. These days, you know, if surgery is indicated, it can very easily be done because of uh, the work of men like Robert Liston, which we'll talk about a little bit later, um, getting to the point where, you know, we can use anesthetics and clean technique and surgery is a lot safer these days. Very few people die from complications related to surgery in the modern era. But back when Liston was practicing, which would be in the uh, the early 1800s till he died in 1847, Surgery at this point, and basically any point before this, was a matter of basically life and death. Surgery had to be performed really quickly because there was a basically a direct correlation uh, between pain and fear in the patient that if you didn't do what needed to be done extremely quickly, that you know the patients would end up going insane. In fact, it was it was said a lot of the times back in these days that if you took too long with the surgery, there were patients that would actually just go nuts, go completely bonkers with pain and fear and run out of the room. And you can imagine some dude getting his leg 
amputated, half cut off, guy can't take it anymore, you know, runs out of the room, goes crazy. So this is an era where if you wanted to get something done surgically, you had to be ultra quick about it. And Liston, he had a reputation as being maybe one of the very, very quickest surgeons of his day. He was called the uh, the fastest hands in the West End, one of his little nicknames, because he was so incredibly quick. And it's just insane to me to think that you can be incredibly fast at surgery. It was said that Robert Liston could amputate a leg in two and a half minutes. Two and a half minutes? What? Two and a half minutes, you could just cut somebody's leg off straight up. And this is just a guy who, you know, a patient would come in, strap him on the table, and just get to work. And, I mean, I can only imagine how hellish it is to have your leg cut off in two and a half minutes of, of craziness. Um, but that was that was the way that surgery had to be done back in these days. That's the way that's the way that it had to be. So listening, being the 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 rogue that he was, was usually considered one of the fastest ones. Now, he had a reputation also, besides being fast, um, he also had a reputation of being a gigantic asshole, apparently. Now, when I read about him, that seems to be more to me like the guys he was working with considered him an asshole because people in this era, the Victorian era, were still very, very class-centric. And not to say that it's not like that a little bit these days, but this is especially during that time where, you know, if you're from a certain caste, so if you're from, if you're somebody who is is skilled enough and intelligent enough to become a, a physician or a surgeon, then you're going to be obviously in a higher class of, of citizen than, you know, some, some poor Oliver Twist off the street. And Liston really took pride in seeing everyone that he could. This dude would just have patients lined up outside his office waiting to be seen. You know, can you imagine that? This is an era where you get strapped down to a table and dudes need to hold you down to cut your leg off or whatever they're doing. This is what needed to be done. And you still, still had people lined up outside this guy's office to get that done to them by this guy. His colleagues often said that this was really showy, quote, showy of him. And he, not really caring for their opinion, didn't give a shit and still did what he had to do to help these people. He was kind of a, I wouldn't say like a Robin Hood of surgery, but he was definitely a guy who wanted to help as many people as he could kind of at the the peril of his own reputation among his peers now he didn't really give a shit obviously he still did what he had to do but when I read that you know he has this reputation as being a little bit abrasive I actually don't know how true that really was because as I say history is written by the you know the the victor but the victor in this case would be the person who actually knows how to write the history so some people are going to say that he was a a huge asshole then I guess he was but in my opinion if you're a guy who is out there doing the best you can to help as many people as you can especially people who are considered quote lost cases by other physicians and then he would he would see them instead I consider that a positive thing and in fact Liston had a about one in ten death rate in his in his OR which if you had a surgeon today who had a 1 in 10 death rate, that guy would have had his license probably yanked before he even got a license, to be completely honest. But back in these days, most of his colleagues at St. Bartholomew's, where he practiced at the University of 
the College University of London, I believe it was, is where Listener practices. Uh, St. Bartholomew was another hospital nearby where a lot of his colleagues practiced. Most of those surgeons had a one in four death rate. So 25% of the time, if you got whatever you needed done with you with one of those other dudes, you're probably going to die. Whereas you only had about a 10% chance of facing your own mortality when Liston operated on you. So uh, a pretty fantastic surgeon in his own in his own right there. He was quick. He was effective. And I think his effectiveness in, in terms of making it work with those people was because he was so fast. He could get in there, chop that leg off or whatever he's going to do, and get it done so quickly, sewed up so quickly that, you know, just by by speed, he could he could reduce the rate of infection. Now, they didn't know that that was exactly what was going on. at this In this era, there was only a few people who had really started to, to figure out uh, so-called germ theory at this point where where people were starting to figure out that bacteria and uh, viral agents, fungi, things like that were, were the agents causing infection in people and, you know, putting two and two together. You think about it now, and it's like ultra obvious, right? But that's because of people doing experiments to figure that sort of thing out. In this era, people didn't put two and two together to say, oh, somebody has a gigantic hole or a gaping huge cut or an amputated limb or mass which has a whole bunch of, of super viable, easy-to-get-to tissue that these really opportunistic pathogens can just run into and start growing and hurting, eventually, the host that they infect. People like Louis Pasteur, Semmelweis, uh, eventually Joseph Lister, guys like that would figure this sort of thing out, and it would lead to um, antiseptic and then aseptic technique, um, antiseptic being the placement of something that kills kills uh, foreign agents on a person and then aseptic being uh, sterile in the first place and not allowing those things to ever come into come into contact those those sort of techniques would be developed a little bit after Liston's time but beforehand you know speed was was a double whammy speed was good for the patient so that the patient didn't go fucking crazy getting their shit cut off and speed was great for uh, limiting infection too. The, the quicker you could get something off and then re-sutured and covered up, the, the lower the, the rate of infection, even though they really didn't quite understand that. So, so speed and uh, a really decisive attitude were the name of the game back in, in this era for surgery, and Liston had both of those in spades. Now, we're going to talk real quick about Four of his most famous cases, including the one that a lot of people have probably heard, um, is by far the most popular tale. But real quick, let's talk about a few of, of the, the examples of, of how insanely quick and how insanely insane Robert Liston was when it came to surgery. Now, there was a case uh, where a guy was carrying around his, basically his balls, so to speak. He had a, a apparently a 45-pound... 40, 45, 45 pound scrotal tumor, scrotal tumor, 45 pounds. This dude in London was carrying this freaking thing around. Like it makes me think of that South Park episode where everybody's just carrying their nuts around in wheelbarrows. This guy actually was doing that. And Liston got rid of that thing in four minutes, four minutes. And he cut that thing right off of this dude. So pretty insane to just get rid of a mass that big 
in four minutes. It would take somebody probably hours to do that these days. And obviously, they'd be doing it a lot more cleanly and a lot more carefully. But that was never uh, that was never how we did things back in the day. So four minutes, forty-five pounds, scrotal tumor gone. That was that was a good that was a good ending. That was a good ending for that patient. A poor ending, and this is probably the very best example. And I know I went on and on about how I think listening was probably a little bit misunderstood, and uh, being called an asshole might not have been completely fair. But in this case, it probably was. Uh, a patient came in, a young boy, so not this, not his typical rash of patients, which are usually older people with some sort of malady. This was a young kid. He had a uh, a mass in his neck, and Liston himself thought it was just a an abscess or a skin flap of some sort. A lot of other people, correctly, by the way, thought it was an aneurysm. Now, an aneurysm is a, is a weakening of an arterial wall and these weakenings tend to tend to pulse because arterial uh, arterial wall tends to be muscular it also tends to be very um very springy so to speak so it will it will bounce and that's how blood is pushed through the body if you have an aneurysm there's a weakening uh, somewhere in that wall and that will also pulse as the blood is pushed there so uh, aneurysms are bad Aneurysms can eventually lead to uh, ruptures, which can kill a person. So these people are looking at this young boy and saying, oh, he's got an aneurysm. Well, Liston, being you know the smart ass he was most of the time, figured that there was no way a kid his age could have an aneurysm. Because aneurysms typically were from people who were older. Just you know the wear and tear uh, of a life on a body would tend to lead to these aneurysms he figured a kid couldn't have one so he grabbed his knife out of his pocket super duper quick and just lanced that bad boy quick turns out it was definitely an aneurysm and he definitely killed that little kid so um that uh that artery is actually preserved in the uh, university college hospital where he worked in its pathology museum uh to this day but Definitely uh, sometimes could be a little bit of a misjudge how something was supposed to be a little bit of his abrasive attitude running forward. Um, Definitely an example of how somebody these days would probably lose their license doing some weird shit like that. But hey, it's the uh, the Wild West, so to speak, of 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 surgery back in these days. So, oh, well, his second most famous case as we walk forward into his first most famous case, which we'll get to in a second, the one that everybody's heard, his second most famous case, uh, he amputated the leg of a guy in about two and a half minutes. Like we said, that was about as quick as he could do it, two and a half minutes. He he took that guy's leg, and he also took the guy's balls. So sometimes in your, in your furor, in your craziness of just wanting to cut this dude's leg off as fast as you can, oops, took his nuts too. So... Probably not a good day for that dude. Um, I didn't read anywhere whether or not that guy survived. I'm assuming he probably did, but probably not a fun thing to wake up to or a fun thing to uh, be told as you're writing. I shouldn't say wake up to because there was no anesthesia, but something you're told, you know, as you're getting your leg chopped off. Oh, by the way, bud, took your nuts too. Sorry, uh, it's just uh, just the name of the game. Sorry. Now, Liston's most famous case, and this is the one that cements him in in popular culture, is the so-called 300% mortality rate surgery. 
Now you might be thinking, how can you have a 300% mortality rate in surgery? There's only one patient, and if that patient dies, you have a 100% mortality rate. Now, that is the that is the case most of the time. Now, back in these days, like we were talking about, you usually had to have somebody hold somebody else down or uh, multiple somebodies hold people down or hold people in place while the surgeon, Liston in this case, would do his crazy knife-cutting action. Now, in this particular case, Liston went to work with his insane knife, went to work cutting this guy's leg off. In his extreme fury, he happened to cut the fingers off of his assistant that was holding the patient. He also, apparently in a blade-like fury, uh, was stabbing around and slashing around with this blade like a crazy person. Apparently scared the absolute fucking shit out of one of the people who is next to him. And apparently that guy had a, 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 a cardiac event because he was so goddamn frightened. So, cardiac event guy, he died. That's one. The assistant who was holding him got infected from the fingers being cut off and died in the hospital. That's two. The patient, his original patient also got infected in the hospital and died. So one, two, and three people died from one single about two-and-a-half-minute leg amputation surgery. So this guy will forever be cemented in in popular culture because of his insane 300% rate surgery, 300% mortality rate surgery. But in the end, when you really think about this guy, he was actually a fairly fantastic Victorian era surgeon and he was also extremely intelligent he made up a lot of things technique wise and and equipment wise that are still being used today he developed the bulldogs forceps bulldog forceps are those locking forceps like where if you are in surgery and you have to stop blood flow in an artery also you can use them out in the field if somebody's got some sort of arterial injury the forceps that will lock on, well, that you can squeeze, and then they they lock onto the artery. He invented those. They're still being used today. That was 150 years ago. He also developed a really popular uh, femur uh, splint that is still used to this day. Now, not quite as often as uh, the traction splint, which wasn't invented until around the time of World War One, which would be about 75, 80 years after Liston was practicing. But still, he invented a type of splint that is still used today. So crazy that you can think back 150 years during this crazy dark time in surgery and find that guys like him were actually pioneers in a lot of ways. Uh, The final thing that Liston, that sort of attaches Liston to modern surgery was in 1845, he actually was one of the first European surgeons to use ether. So an anesthetic, he actually was a surgeon that existed in the time where you would just literally grab like a samurai sword and start chopping people's limbs off. He existed in a time where he transitioned or at least helped transition into the modern anesthetic era. He was recorded in saying that, quote, we are going to try a Yankee Dodge today, gentlemen, for making men insensible. Now, he called it a Yankee Dodge because ether had been being used by American physicians and dentists for procedures for a little bit uh, of time before word got over to Europe that this was the thing you could do. So somebody grabbed a jar of ether, 
he put a tube into the guy's mouth. The guy breathed it in for a few minutes until it put him completely down. They then put a, a rag soaked in ether up to this dude's mouth and nose and Liston went to work. He went to work and chopped this dude's chopped this dude's leg off real, real quick and sewed it up and it was all done. And the the patient at this point, I can correctly say, the patient then woke up asking when the operation was going to begin. So an extremely fantastic success for the use of ether and anesthesia and actually kind of basically putting the guy out of a job, so to speak. His skill set was for extremely fast, uh, hopefully a little bit less painful surgeries because of that speed. His calling card, his extreme skill set was was basically being put you know, out to pasture, so to speak, because once you could put somebody under anesthetic, you could take your time a little bit more, be a little bit more careful, and, you know, not cut somebody's nuts off or not cut your assistant's fingers off or whatever you would do because you had to go so fast. He wouldn't really end up seeing. A lot of these things come to fuller fruition because he died about a year after he did that surgery uh, with the ether, but it's it's crazy to know that the guy who killed three people in one operation also was an extremely fantastic surgeon for his time he was a pioneer and he will forever be submitted in in our culture as one of those people that helped usher in surgery the way we see it these days and now for your non sequitur fact of the week did you know that back in 1908 the summer olympics were being held in london and the russian empire's olympic team was 12 days late to the olympics not because they were lazy but because they were still using the julian calendar as opposed to the english using the gregorian calendar yeah true story And that's the podcast. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for coming back um, after whatever the hell episode one was to whatever the hell this one was. It's super cool that you guys decided to stick around and keep listening. Um, and it's kind of weird that I decided to stick around and keep recording. But hey, it's it's super fun. I, I love doing this. This is one of the, my most favorite things that I've that I've ever done. It gives me a chance to to really look back and and really get into stuff that I've always been interested in or I didn't know something about and then, you know, re-research it and just talk about stuff that I find super duper interesting. So, if you want to, this is still available in Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Um should also hopefully be on YouTube and maybe Pocket Casts if I can figure out a way to get it on there as well. So, if you're listening to it from any of those places, please Hit me with a subscribe. Hit me with a like. Do whatever you do. Rate it. Even if you rate it one star and it's shit, I don't really care. As, as long as somebody's engaging with it, that's all that matters to me. Um, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Next week, we're going to do um, a podcast more about misconceptions or things that people think are common knowledge but actually aren't as entirely as true uh, as they think. So, so uh, don't forget to follow me um, on... Twitter at 
Kyle Steinhauser on Instagram at Kyle F Steinhauser. Uh, and you can find me on Facebook as well. Email the show at knowledgecouch at gmail.com uh, just in case you want me to talk about something or you have a cool idea. Or like you know, I've said a hundred times, if you just want to personally attack me and, and tell me my show sucks, you can do that too. It's totally fine. Um, but until next week, uh, thanks for listening, guys. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and we'll talk to you then. Thanks, guys. Thank you.